This is Ria. Welcome to Little Stories for Tiny People. Today's episode contains several stories you already know and love that I've strung together so you can enjoy them on longer car rides. You'll hear Mouse Bakes a Cake, Ruby Takes Her Time, Little Rabbit Can't Eat Clover, Grumbly Bear and Strumbly Bear, and Over the Swing. Enjoy! Okay, here we go! Mouse's grandmother always made him such good cakes for his birthday. So when it came time for hers, he decided to make her a cake to show her how much he cared. I'll keep the cake a secret, he thought, until the moment she takes a bite. Mouse went through the kitchen. Where to find a cake recipe? Hmm. He looked up in the very tippy-top cabinets and down in the very low ones. No recipes to be found. But Mouse had eaten so much cake, he figured he could just make one without a recipe. Let's see what we have here, he said, rifling through the packages on the shelf. Flour. I'll definitely need that. And chocolate. Grandma likes chocolate. And chocolate is sweet, too. That takes care of the sugar, he thought, picking up a tub of cocoa powder. I might need some salt. Grandma told me that salt brings out the flavor in baked goods. Mouse scanned the spice shelf. Sage, dill, allspice. What could that be? Must mean you put it in all the things you bake. And I definitely need that. Mouse continued to scan the spice rack. Baking soda, baking powder? Grandma doesn't drink soda, Mouse thought, so maybe I'll just go with the powder. What else? Lemon. Grandma always says how you should always have a lemon in the kitchen. Mouse rolled a lemon out of the fruit bowl and onto the counter. He grabbed an egg out of the fridge and balanced it over his head, swaying back and forth precariously before cracking it over the side of a mixing bowl. Mouse added some flour, the allspice, and the baking powder. He took a crater and zested the lemon, then quartered it and squeezed out the juice, just like Grandma did when she cooked fish. He didn't know how much salt to add, so he thought a cup sounded about right. Mouse mixed it all up and poured it into a pan. Looks a little weird, he thought, but that's probably because it's not cooked yet. Mouse went to the oven. Hmm, I remember Grandma asked me to preheat the oven to 325 last time I was in the kitchen with her. Let's go with that. Mouse ran and found his friend, Larry. Larry was always up for an adventure, so they scampered back together and each picked up an end of the cake pan. Uh, Mouse, Larry said with a skeptical look on his face. This cake batter looks a little off. Do you think you might have... Larry, it's just not cooked yet. Once it's cooked, it'll look like a cake. Larry, an ever-supportive friend, thought back to the many times Mouse had helped him, including sometimes when Larry had gotten them into some mischief. So he shrugged and plastered a smile on his face. You're probably right, Mouse. We'll see how it turns out. They heaved the cake pan above their heads and slid it into the oven, closing the door. Mouse dusted the flour off his paws and set the oven to bake for 30 minutes. As they waited, they filled each other in on their latest adventures and laughed at Larry's most recent run-in with the neighbor's pet hamster. Oh man, I really feel for old Arnold. He is so addicted to that wheel. 
poor guy needs a vacation. Ding! The timer went off, and they carefully pulled the pan from the oven. See? Mouse said excitedly. It looks, well, it, it looks kind of like a cake should. I, I probably, well, maybe I missed an ingredient or two, but I'm sure it'll be tasty. Larry just nodded and smiled. That night, Mouse worked for hours to cook up a nice frosting. When he was done slathering it on the cake, he fell asleep in a cozy-looking ladle. The next day was Grandma's birthday. Mouse's Aunt Loretta made a delicious meal, and everyone showered Grandma with hugs and affection. Then, Mouse saw his opportunity. He again enlisted Larry to help. They dragged the cake in from the kitchen. Everyone gasped in surprise and excitement, and the room erupted in squeaky whispers. Grandma didn't notice. She was deep in conversation with Uncle Horatio, who was telling her about his latest scheme. Grandma, I only had to give two blocks of cheese, and they gave me a full year's supply of this mouse ear serum. You just put a little bit in your ear, and, well, I'm not quite sure how it works, but within minutes, you can hear better, you feel better. Would you like to be a host at one of my ear serum parties? You have no obligation to buy, of course, but if you do, you get a discount. Uh, Horatio, Grandma said, glancing around for an exit. I think I might have to, but she didn't get her next words out. Mouse had put a piece of cake into her mouth. Everyone watched in silence as Grandma slowly chewed the cake. Her whiskers twitched a little. Grandma, Mouse said shyly, you always make everyone the best birthday cakes. Grandma nodded and kept chewing, wincing a little bit as Mouse continued. I just thought, well, I really wanted you to know how much you mean to me, how much you mean to all of us. Grandma finally swallowed, looking quite relieved. Mouse looked up at her expectantly. Oh, Mouse, Grandma said, her eyes getting a bit wet. Mouse, ever since you were a tiny mouse, you've always been so thoughtful and so caring that you went to all the trouble to make this, this cake. That's the best birthday present I could ever hope for. Thank you. And she gave Mouse a big hug. The room bursted with oohs and ahs and more squeaky whispers. Mouse beamed. Grandma, he asked, do you want some more cake? Um, hmm, <laughs> I'm just so full from dinner, my dear. You know, I was thinking, this cake is just so incredibly interesting. I'd love to just save it for myself or tomorrow or maybe the next day or maybe some indeterminate time in the future. Okay, Grandma, Mouse exclaimed happily. He gave her one last kiss and started to walk away to let her continue her conversation with Uncle Horatio who looked like he just couldn't wait to go on. Before he could, Grandma called Mouse back. Yes, Grandma? One more thing, Mouse. That was such a heartwarming gift, but I want to give one to you as well. I'd like for you to join me the next time I bake a birthday cake. I'll teach you all my best recipes, and I'll show you all the ingredients that go into making a traditional cake and we'll get to have some really special time together. What do you say? Mouse's eyes grew wide. He felt a big grin spread beneath his whiskers. Yes, I can't wait, Grandma. Me neither, Grandma said. She gave Mouse another big kiss before sending him on his way. 
Then she took a deep breath to collect herself and turned back to Uncle Horatio. Mouse had a spring in his step as he walked jauntily over to Larry, who just shook his head and smiled. Mouse, I'm not gonna lie. I was a bit skeptical about this whole cake business, but it worked out. Sure did, Mouse replied. Hey, wanna go give old Arnold a visit? See what he's been doing round the clock? You mean see if he's been having a wheelie good time? Larry shot back. They both burst into giggles and went off to find Arnold. While her brother Howard raced down the sidewalk, Ruby took her time. She stopped for each dandelion, worm, and rock as she hummed or said a rhyme. Come on, Ruby, Howard said as if he had no time to spare. Ruby glanced up, then back at the ground, saying, Oh, Howard, I'll be right there. As she walked along, she found curious pebbles, fuzzy moss, and caterpillars galore. She sometimes thought of moving on, but what if there was more? When she finally reached the playground, her pockets heavy with everything she'd found, Howard just said, You took long enough, and never asked to see her stuff. Well, one day all that changed for good. It was a summer afternoon. Ruby was examining a small piece of wood and softly humming a little tune. Ruby heard a tiny mew just as Howard whizzed by her shoulder. Howard, did you hear that too? No, he groaned. He thinks he knows everything because he's older. There it was again. Mew, mew, mew. What was it? Ruby thought she knew. She looked behind a large oak tree, shielding her eyes from the bright sunlight. There, a kitten. Oh, not one, but three. Howard, look what I found, Ruby called, but he was already out of sight. The little cats gazed up at Ruby, their tiny limbs looking weak. One of the kittens ambled over and nuzzled Ruby's hand with its cheek. Where's your mother? Ruby wondered aloud, cradling her new buddy. But the kitten just looked up at her, his fur matted and muddy. I can tell you're hungry, Ruby said. She was on a mission now. These cats needed to be fed. She gathered the kittens up in her arms and started walking quickly. She couldn't stop for caterpillars or sticks. These cats were sickly. As she lumbered past the playground, Howard glanced Ruby's way. He saw something furry in her grasp, and for once, he didn't look away. What's that you have there, Ruby? What is that furry thing? But Ruby was on a mission and she couldn't stop for anything. Behind her, Howard leapt off his swing. Howard finally reached home, gasping out of air. How'd you get here so fast, Ruby, like you had no time to spare? Howard, these kittens need to be fed. They need water. They need love. They need a warm bed. Kittens, Howard exclaimed, finally seeing what she'd found. You found these? Yes, behind a tree. They were making tiny sounds. I'd ask you if you'd like to hold one, but I'm sure you have better things to do. Oh, Howard said, I mean, of course I do, but I could spare a moment if you really want me to. Ruby smirked to herself as she handed a kitten to her brother, 
Howard's supposed plans vanished and they spent the day with one another. Their parents agreed to let them keep the littlest one, whom they named Peep. The other two they gave away to their friend Carlos and to their neighbor Mrs. Holloway. They took turns feeding Peep and taking her to the vet. She was their constant companion, a loving little pet. Now, whenever they went out, Howard still raced down the sidewalk, and Ruby still stopped for each dandelion, worm, and rock. But when Ruby finally reached the playground, her pockets heavy with everything she found, Howard would run to greet her, asking, What did you find today? He'd look at each stone, admire each bug, and then together they'd play. After dinner one night, Little Rabbit's tummy started aching. He clutched his furry torso with his paws and moaned. Little Rabbit's dad hopped over. You don't look so hot, he said. Let's have you lie down. Dad brought Little Rabbit to his bed and tucked him in. It was probably something you ate. Dad brought Little Rabbit a cup of hot tea and then sat beside him until he fell asleep. He'll feel better when the sun comes up. Dad assured himself. The next day, Little Rabbit did feel better. He went to school, and when it came time for show and tell, Little Rabbit showed off the four-leaf clover he'd found in the field near his home. The other Little Rabbits were impressed. Well, what are you going to do with it now? His friend Cicely asked him when show and tell was over. I guess I'll just eat it, Little Rabbit said with a grin, and popped the clover into his mouth. Cicely giggled. <laughs> I can't eat my show-and-tell, she said, holding up a garden spade. A few minutes later, when all the little rabbits were scampering about, collecting twigs for an art project, Little Rabbit's tummy started hurting, just like the night before. Little Rabbit clutched his tummy, whimpering, Cicely, go get Miss Constantinopolis, I'm really sick. Cicely hopped off and returned moments later with their flustered teacher. Miss Constantinopolis called Little Rabbit's dad, who scooped him up, put him on his back, and scampered all the way over the hill to Cousin Isadora's house. Being cousins in Little Rabbit's community wasn't such a big deal. Everyone was cousins with everyone else. But Cousin Isadora was special because she helped rabbits when they weren't feeling well. Cousin Isadora was just finishing up with another patient as Little Rabbit and his dad hopped in. All right, like I said, if it's hurting when you kick your leg like that, just don't kick it that way. Kick it up instead. And make sure you keep up with those breathing exercises we talked about. It'll really keep you calm next time that fox comes by. Cousin Isadora's patient thanked her and hopped off. Cousin Truman, little rabbit, it's been too long. Haven't seen you since you had that thorn stuck in your paw. But you're not looking so good, little rabbit. What's the matter? My tummy, it's hurting so bad. It was hurting last night after dinner, too. Cousin Isadora felt little rabbit's head. Hmm, what have you eaten in the last 24 hours? Well, I had the clover stew my dad made. Little Rabbit said, looking up at his dad. Dad makes the best clover stew. Mm-hmm. And what did you eat today before you got sick? 
Well, this morning I had carrots and alfalfa. Then at school, I ate my four-leaf clover after I showed it to my class for show and tell. Aha, Cousin Isadora replied. It's the clover. It's rare, but I've seen it before. What's rare? What do you mean? Little Rabbit asked. Your body is reacting to the clover. It's making you sick. Unfortunately, these types of things can crop up at any time. Will he grow out of it? Little Rabbit's dad asked. Maybe, but it's unlikely. But don't worry, I know it seems like clovers are in everything, but... Wait, Little Rabbit said. You mean I can't eat clovers? Ever? I'm afraid so. You'll have to avoid it forever, Cousin Isadora said quietly. But to Little Rabbit's ears, it sounded like, Forever, forever. But we can test you every year or so to see if you can tolerate it. You might grow out of it. Cousin Isadora gave Little Rabbit and Truman a hug and pressed a list of clover-free recipes into Little Rabbit's dad's paw. Come see me if you have another reaction, she called as they hopped away. The next week at school was a blur. Little Rabbit was astonished by how much time and energy it took to avoid eating clover. At snack time one day, Cicely offered Little Rabbit a piece of her turnip cake. Just before Little Rabbit took a nibble, he spied a sliver of green. Oh, Cicely exclaimed, smacking her head with her paw. Ugh, I forgot. My mom put clovers in the cake. I'm sorry. It's okay, Little Rabbit said. At home, things were just as challenging. Little Rabbit's dad scrambled to find substitutes for clovers in all of his best recipes. Sometimes his new creations were less than appetizing. Little Rabbit loved spinach, but it just couldn't take the place of clovers in Dad's clover stew. And rutabaga pudding just didn't have quite the zing of clover pudding. Then came Cicely's birthday at school. Little Rabbit had a hunch he wouldn't be able to eat Cicely's birthday muffins because clover was always everyone's favorite muffin flavor. So he packed himself some extra blackberries as a little treat. It's no big deal, he told himself. At snack time, Cicely's mom, Miss Tanya, came into the class carrying a big basket full of muffins. Little Rabbit took out his container of blackberries. The container had been jostled around in his knapsack, and the blackberries were all smushed. They're all going the same place, Little Rabbit thought, popping one into his mouth. Yum! All the other little rabbits ran over to Miss Tanya's basket and clapped their paws together in excitement. Their little puffy tails wiggled as they waited for their muffins. Little Rabbit munched on his delicious blackberries. Then, Miss Tanya said loudly, I can't wait for everyone to try these clover-free celery mint muffins. Cicely specifically asked me to make these for her birthday, she went on but Little Rabbit could hardly hear anymore. He'd been so exhausted by trying to avoid eating clover, he felt like he'd never be able to join in a celebration again. He felt tears well up in his eyes. He glanced over at Cicely, who smiled shyly back at him. Mm-mm. The celery mint muffins were incredible. Everyone was blown away by how delicious they were. 
and Ms. Tanya ended up handing out copies of the recipe to all the little rabbit's parents. Turned out, Ms. Tanya couldn't eat alfalfa and knew all about how to get creative in the kitchen. She gave Little Rabbit's dad a book of recipes she'd put together over the years, many of which were clover-free. Over the next few months, Little Rabbit grew accustomed to eating a little bit differently than everyone else. It no longer bothered him, and it was actually pretty cool to show up at school with snacks nobody had ever seen before. All the other little rabbits would gather around and take tiny nibbles and ask him about the different flavors. Little Rabbit's dad got better at cooking without clover and perfected a chicory stew that put all others to shame. Little Rabbit also found that instead of feeling distant from his friends, he felt closer than ever. Sam and Glenn both lived in Bear Town. The two bears passed each other every day, Sam with a grin, Glenn with a frown. They seemed to be different in every way. Sam played guitar for the commuters, singing sweet refrains. Glenn hunched over among the other bears as they waited for their trains. Some bears dropped jars of honey into Sam's guitar case. But trapped hearing those cheerful songs, Glenn just felt out of place. Glenn grumbled to himself. I can't stand that strumly bear, always playing happy songs. He's always smiling without a care. Doesn't he see all that goes on? Life isn't just buttercups and rainbows all the time. Some of us have worries on our minds. Life isn't always just sublime. Life isn't always seek and ye shall find. Soon Glenn headed to work on his train, but still he could hear Sam's happy refrain echoing and echoing through his brain. Can't that strumly bear find a new corner where he can croon? I hope he does, and I hope he does soon. On the other side of town, Sam closed his guitar case with a flourish. Why, he wondered, must that one bear be so boorish? I can't stand that grumbly bear. Always slouching, pouting, he always has to mope. He always stops to give me a glare, as if it's a crime to be anything but a misanthrope. Can't that grumbly bear go to a different train stop to spread his gloom and doom? I hope he does, and I hope he does soon. Sam packed up his things and went on his way, and when he reached home, he slept the rest of the day. And they went on this way, passing each other each day, one with a smile, one with a frown, never knowing the other deep down, until one night. There was a big parade, and Glenn took a detour so he wouldn't have to wade through a thicket of bears just to get home that night. So he took a left, instead of a right. As Glenn ambled down the block, he heard an unusual sound. It was crying, a bear crying. He came closer, and with a shock, he found Strumbly Bear just sitting there. Sad as sad could be, 
Leaning next to him was his guitar case. Tears ran down his furry face. Glenn stopped, stunned. He didn't know what to do. Here was Strumly Bear, crying. Not happy. Not singing songs that were chipper and sappy. Not jubilant, upbeat, or jolly. No, this Strumbly Bear looked melancholy. Sam looked up, seeing Grumbly Bear. Oh, great, he thought. Just what I need. This churlish, boorish bear who has no smiles to spare. <clears throat> I've seen you before. My name is Glenn. Hi, Glenn. I'm Sam. What's wrong? Glenn asked, not sure what to say. Oh, my best friend, Sam said. He moved away today. Very far away. I may not see him for years. Ah, Glenn nodded. Then I can understand the tears. My best friend moved away two years ago. I miss him every day, and so I'm sorry to hear that. I really am. It's hard to lose a friend, but it doesn't have to be the end. You can call each other on the phone and visit once in a while. It won't be the same, but you can still make each other smile. Sam was confused. Grumbly Bear was being so kind. Had he gone out of his mind? I appreciate your empathy. It's nice of you to say, but I have to ask. Are you okay? You're always such a grumbly bear, always moody, looking sad. I wouldn't have thought you would care about me feeling bad. Glenn couldn't believe his ears. Never in all his years had he considered himself so dreary. He knew he'd grown a little weary, working hard each day, but Grumbly Bear? Other bears thought of him that way? You've surprised me too, Glenn said. You always seem so lively, blissful. It's strange to find you feeling wistful. To me, you're a strumbly bear. You play your happy songs as if you don't have a care, as if you don't see all that goes on. Sam couldn't believe his ears. Never in all his years had he considered himself so carefree. To him, his songs were a way to see the good in life, the good in bears. But it didn't mean he had no cares. He simply had some happy songs to play. But Strumly Bear? Other bears thought of him that way? Thank you for listening to me, Sam said, dabbing his eyes. It's time for me to hit the road. The factory just got in a new load. I have to go stock the shelves, but I'm glad we introduced ourselves. The factory, Glenn said. I work there too. I work at the same place as you? Sam smiled. I work at night. I like to play my music when the sun is bright. It's a solid job, but it can make a bear dreary. My music helps me. What helps you be cheery? Glenn looked at Sam, who looked a bit weary, about to go to his job at a place that's not so cheery. And he realized Sam wasn't just strumbly. Why, he could also be grumbly. Glenn saw they had something in common, too. Sam, I, I do have something that keeps me cheery, like your music does for you. I paint. I paint at night when I get home. I do it when I'm all alone. 
I paint trees and sunrises and beaches, bowls of apples, pears, and peaches. It helps me relax and savor each day in my own quiet, personal way. Sam was surprised. He hadn't expected such a reply. And now he saw Glenn with new eyes. Glenn was not just a grumbly bear. There was more to him than pouts and glares. He could be grumpy, it's very true, but he could also be kind and warm and creative, too. Perhaps what he really needed in the end was a friend. Glenn, I'm impressed that you paint, Sam said. Can I visit you and see your work next week? Glenn brightened. I like that, and I promise to be less bleak from now on while you play your refrains, and I wait with the other bears for our trains. The two bears shook hands and went their separate ways, and from then on they were friends for the rest of their days. Maya's mom was always singing. She hummed while she filled the crockpot every morning. She harmonized along with the top 40 station as she drove Maya to school. The weekend she spent repainting the living room a bright welcoming blue, the house was alive with off-key Motown hits. Maya's mom didn't just love to sing. It was as if she had to sing. And Maya got tired of it. Mom, could you please stop singing for a little while? Maya asked politely. Oh, was I doing it again? Her mom asked with a puzzled look on her face. Yes, yes, you were. Oh, I didn't even notice. Sorry, honey. And for several delicious moments, Maya soaked up the silence. But then... Mm-hmm. And the humming eventually led to full-on singing. Maya just shook her head and shrugged. Oh, Mommy. One cool winter day, Maya and her mom trudged off to the playground, bundled in sweaters and boots. They were the only ones at the park. Maya usually loved to watch the older kids on the swings. She marveled at how high they could go. Today, she was the only kid on the playground, so she decided to see how high she could get on the swing. Her mom pushed her higher and higher, naturally singing the whole time. Maya said, Mom, I really want to go as high as I possibly can. Maya's mom considered this a moment. Hmm, I suppose you're old enough now, she muttered. Maya wasn't quite sure what that meant, but she was excited when her mom started pushing her even higher. Up, back, up, up, back, up, 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 back. Now each swing was a blur and each peak was a new thrill. She could see the whole park and beyond as she swung higher and higher still. Then, 
On the next swing, her mom gave her an extra strong push and Maya felt weightless as she soared upward, higher and higher and higher until suddenly she felt herself turning upside down. Up was down, down was up. The ground came rushing towards her and then just as quickly, she was right side up again. As she swung to and fro, Maya knew something very peculiar had just taken place. She was in the exact same park as she'd been before, but everything had changed. It was no longer a cool winter morning. It was a gorgeous, sunny, summer day. And it was hot. Maya was already sweating in her thick layers. She tore off her hat to get some relief. Then she noticed as her feet slowly swept the ground that the once empty park was humming with activity. Children were everywhere, scaling the climbing wall, riding scooters on the tennis court, kicking soccer balls to one another. Maya was dumbfounded. Mom, she called, but when she turned to look, her mom wasn't there. Glancing around, Maya noticed there were no grown-ups anywhere in the park. Just children. Laughing, playing, sharing, and singing? Yes, she heard it now. The playground was buzzing with dozens of distinct melodies. Somehow, instead of clashing, the strands of music all came together harmoniously. As Maya leapt off the swing and removed her outer layers of clothing, a small girl about her age walked over to her and grinned. Well, hello, my name is Ling. Did you just come over the swing? Maya just stared at Ling, totally confused. Um, yes, I guess I did, she mumbled. Here's some sunblock. Let's take a walk. I'll show you how we do things on this side of the swings. Ling took Maya's hand before she had time to think. And then they were off, walking swiftly around the playground. As they went, all the children stopped to greet her in song. Hi there, how are you? What is your name? And just how old are you? Want to play a game? Flustered, Maya just nodded and smiled her way through. Ling brought her to a picnic blanket and offered her some slices of cucumber. As they ate their snack together, Maya gathered the courage to ask Ling some questions. Uh, why are you guys singing so much? she asked. Ling laughed and shook her head. They always wonder why we all sing. To us it's normal on our side of the swing. How about you try it for just this week? When you go back, 
You can always just speak. Wait a second, Maya said. What do you mean this week? I can't be here a whole week. My mom won't know where I am. And I have to go to school. I have to go back now. Ling smiled. When you go back over, no time will have passed. Your mom will be standing there just like you saw her last. So try to have some fun and sing while you are here on this side of the swing. Hmm, Maya thought to herself, it's summer. Ling and her friends seem happy and carefree. A week here could be an exciting adventure. Maya fidgeted nervously before she replied. Okay then, this sounds fun. Ling jumped up. Oh good, we've only just begun. Ling took Maya's hand again, and together they joined in one of the games with the other children. They laughed, they sang, and afterwards, they all sat down on a big blanket for lunch. Together, they sang their lunchtime song. It's a really fun time, because it's lunchtime. And we get to share food all together. It's a really fun time because it's lunchtime. And we get to share food all together. We'll pass the bowls along till everyone gets some. And when we are all done, we can have some more. We'll pass the bowls along till everyone gets some. And when we are all done, we can have some more. It's a really fun time because it's lunchtime. After a yummy picnic lunch, all the children began to sing together. La da 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 La da 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 Until slowly they all fell asleep and took a nice long nap. The rest of the week went by much the same way. They played in the morning, had lunch together, napped in the afternoon, and sang each other to sleep under the stars at night. Maya found that she actually enjoyed singing and hearing all of the other children sing as well. And she saw how singing could bring people together. At the end of each day, when all the children worked together to gather up the toys and put them in a big bin, singing songs together made it fun. The toys go in the bin, the bin, the toys go in the bin, yes they do, yes they do, the toys go in the bin. By the end of the week, Maya felt almost at home on the other side of the swing. She had made new friends and learned some new things about herself, too. But she knew it was time to go back to her real home. She missed her mom and her house and her school and her friends. She even missed her mom's singing. Ling and the rest of the children came to say farewell to Maya. She put on her sweaters and her coat and her boots. She put her hat on her head. 
She got onto a swing, and Ling and another friend started pushing her. The children all sang her a goodbye song. Goodbye, Maya, goodbye. Remember us, please do try. We'll miss you, and we hope you'll miss us too. We loved hearing you sing on our side of the swing. Goodbye. The children pushed Maya higher and higher until she felt the same surreal sensation of being upside down. Then she felt a rush of cold air against her cheeks and she saw the same empty, familiar playground. Then she heard something familiar too. Humming. She glanced behind her and there was her mom grinning at her with a funny look on her face. She was humming, just like she always did. But now, the sound of her mom's humming gave Maya the greatest sense of being at home. She jumped off the swing, a bit dizzy from her return trip. She ran to her mom and jumped into her arms for a big hug. What's this all about? her mom asked, laughing. Mom, did you see... Did you see me go over the swing? Maya narrowed her eyes and grinned. Hmm, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, her mom said slyly. But she was smiling, and Maya had a feeling she knew exactly what Maya was talking about. Maya took her mom's hand, and as they started to walk home, her mom started humming again. This time, it was a tune they both knew. From then on, Maya still got a bit tired of her mom singing sometimes, but mostly she didn't mind it anymore, and she noticed something surprising about herself. Sometimes, when she was playing or getting ready to eat lunch, or drifting off to sleep at nap time, she found herself singing. It was almost as if she had to sing, and she never did forget her trip over the swing. Thanks for listening to this special car ride episode. I'll be back soon with some brand new stories to share.